him and Paramount spanked him. Yeah, How did he gonna be yeah, as equal talent as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. And he's better than us? Are you serious, James Tony? Frank name is uh, well known. What's that? Who's my name? It's like fear. Right, listen. If you, if you want to sort it out, find me. You didn't find me. You could have found me and you didn't. If you want to find me, here I am. Let's have a find. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. Oh, uh, no, no, no. We got to talk to Al. Top Rank got some shit going on. Matter of fact, boxing on some well, bullshit. The, the UK fans, they, they love the fights. They also love the production. They love, they love to applaud and moan the talent. So let's just start with the curious case of Joshua Boatsy. Because, and I say curious for this reason, if you look at his career currently, and you then you went back to any casual fan and say, of our 2016 Olympians, you know, which of the men did the best? Most people say Akoli, simply because of what they've seen since. And we'd almost forget that Joshua Boatsy won that bronze medal and did so pretty impressively. Because everything since then has been a letdown. You know, it's... It's as if that's still the high point of his career to date, which it shouldn't be considering who he is and you know, what he had achieved up until 2016. You have to remember, for his weight class, there was nobody that was holding a candle to Joshua Boatsy. This is a fact. You can talk to anyone who knows the sport. For the last 11 years, as a minimum, probably 12 years, People have seen him as the golden child of London boxing and then subsequently the golden child of British boxing. So this isn't someone who we're talking about needs learning fights. You shouldn't need learning fights. You've been at the top of the sport of boxing for over a decade. So when you've operated at that level, there's an expectation that you will move quicker than your peers, right? you'll be moved faster, you'll take on the challenges before anybody else. And I think the opposite's been true. The least experienced of the 2016 lot, Lawrence Okoli, seems to have taken on the harder challenges. So if you look at Lawrence, there's no filler in his career. He's been matched hard pretty much from the start. And what that meant was he got unfair criticism. And I said it at the time, I thought the criticism was unfair, where people were saying his style's horrible to watch. And I kept telling people, he's always the underdog. And Lawrence will always fight as an underdog until he gets that confidence to believe he's the best in the world. And once he does that, he'll just start taking people out. And he is. He's taking people out for fun. And I'll go so far as to say, I don't think Usyk a Cruiserweight would beat this version of Okoli. Save your tweets, please. Save your tweets and your responses. I genuinely think Lawrence Okoli is too hard for someone like Usyk to manage. You know, the size, the strength, the, the reluctance to engage will make life very hard for Usyk. I, Lawrence would have been a good addition, well, this version of Lawrence would have been a good addition to the, to the World Boxing Super Series because he presents a challenge that none of these guys would have faced before. But I just want to bring it back to Boatsy because Saturday night really emphasized to me how unfair boxing can be and actually how damaging it is to other people's careers when you have someone who's so protected that they're never put in harm's way. I repeat, never put in harm's way. So if you go back to my previous episode where I was talking about, you know, management as though not wanting to take too many risks with Fight Camp, they just wanted to do three or four fight cards, test out the platform, see how it works, see how the proposition works, see how it's received, 
go back, reboot, come back stronger. So if you think about that, why would you want to put someone in harm's way? You wouldn't. Conor Ben versus Granados is safe matchmaking. Granados can't crack eggs with his punches. So Conor Ben's relatively safe. It's the same thing with Boatsy versus Bolotniks. What they did is they had a name that they could sell to the British fans in Bolotniks. Right? That's just the name. He had no real power. He was durable, but he was never meant to be durable enough to go six rounds. That was never meant to happen. This was meant to be a spectacular stoppage win. And then Eddie was meant to bang the drum and say, right, world title next. After that performance, who can stop him? That was the aim. As it was with Ben versus Granados. Granados is there to be stopped. And if Connor stops him, you start talking about world level. But when we look at those two careers, we come back to the same problem. We still haven't seen them against their British peers yet. Conor Ben hasn't fought a Chris Congo. Conor Ben hasn't fought an Echo Esserman. He hasn't fought a Chris Jenkins. He hasn't fought a Michael McKinson. Do you see what I mean? Like, Conor Ben hasn't fought anyone we would class as his peers. Joshua Boatsy. How he's managed to avoid fighting Craig Richards is unbelievable, number one. And number two, how people can consider him above Craig Richards based on opponents faced is insane. The disrespect that Craig Richards gets in our sport is sickening. There's a guy who puts himself in harm's way. And people won't believe this, but it's true. Craig Richards has never turned down a fight. Any fight Matchroom put to him, Craig will say, yeah, if the money's right, I'll fight him. Doesn't even price himself out. Because Craig understands that the way he's going to get to the top is that kind of, that long and winding road. So, so Blotniks was never meant to be a test. If Eddie wanted a test, he could have made Richards versus Boatsy, right? For the summer, Craig would have taken that fight in a heartbeat. Josh would have taken that fight. If they really wanted to test him, that's the test, right? There's, there's no harder fight unless you want to go across the street and say, right, why don't we fight Lyndon Arthur or Anthony Yard? But the fights were there if you wanted to test Josh. They've always been there. Yet they chose Bolotniks. A guy that we had to believe was good because of what the marketing was telling us. But our eyes tell us he's not that good. He's durable, but not that good. He's a guy who beat a Jose Burton who boxes every two years when he needs a bit of top-up money. It's as simple as that. He fought Stephen Ward. And to be honest, Stephen Ward was the guy that wouldn't fight Dan Aziz. And I think Stephen Ward's now gone up in weight. Dan Aziz would have splattered him. This isn't someone we should be banging the drum for and saying, my goodness, I can't believe Joshua Barsi took that fight. Belotniks is not that good. Simple as that. He is not that good. He would never win a British title. He wouldn't win a Commonwealth title. He might get to English level, but I think Dan beats him as well. So how good is he really? Nah, he ain't that good. But let's just come back to this point because... As a result of this fight, people are now trying to rank the British lightweights in order. And I've, I'm just going to go off the top of my head and say where I think everyone is and why. For me, Callum Johnson still has to be number one because I mean, none of the British guys have beaten him. And he's kind of led the trail. And I think you've got to depose him as the number one. And that's not to say it's impossible. I think there are a few guys that could do it. But no one's done it yet, so Callum Johnson at number one. Number two, Craig Richards. Just on, on who he's faced. We're not even talking abilities here. Let's just talk about what we have seen as fans collectively. Because there may be stuff that happens in the gym, but I don't think it's fair to talk about that. 
And then you talk about Craig Richards has got to be second based on his record. Hasn't swerved a fight, been put in harm's way, hasn't been hurt in a fight, hasn't been dropped, hasn't been, I mean, nothing. He, he's, shown his, he's shown his metal. And then it gets interesting after that. Because I'm going to put Lyndon Arthur at number three. You know, yeah, he beat Anthony Yard. At one point, Anthony Yard was at number one. Right? So, so for me, that, that's a good benchmark. And that's a harder fight than anything Joshua Bartzi's had to face. So Josh is at number four, at best. Number four, and I still think Isaiah Burton would cause him problems. And then you look at guys like Dan Aziz is in that group as well, between him and Hosea Burton. Hopefully we get to find out who the better man is. And I put Dan in there. I'd also whack it. You know, Callum Smith, once we see him fight at 175, probably goes right to the top. But as you can see, Josh isn't even top three. On, on, on opponent's face, Josh can't be top three. So, and he's got it all to prove. So when I hear people talk about this guy's a, a world champion, I'm like, I can believe that, but you can't convince me based on who he's faced thus far. Because he hasn't faced anyone. He hasn't faced a guy like a Sullivan Barrera, who he should have faced. You know, who would have been fringe world level. He hasn't faced those fringe world level guys. You're Shawnee Monaghan's and, and so on and so forth. Um, the German guy. I can't remember the, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Boisel? Yeah, I think it's like Dominic Boisel. He hasn't faced those guys. And these fights could have all been made. But the problem you have essentially is you have a boxer who's asking for a lot of money to step in the ring. And so the money available for opponents goes down. And if he won't take a pay cut, the opponent has to take a pay cut. And most opponents find it disrespectful because they look at him and go, he hasn't done anything, number one. And number two, he doesn't bring enough eyes to the screen to justify it. You know, it's, not, it's not like you're going to take 50% of a bigger pot to fight him. It's like, no, 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 no. There's, the pot's not that big to begin with. But if we actually zero in on the fight, so at the beginning of the fight, there were two real questions that we wanted answers to. One, what could Joshua Botsy do against someone who's not going to lay down? And number two, how will he cope with being hit very hard? Now, I don't think we've got an answer to number two because Bolotniks isn't a power puncher by any stretch of the imagination, nor is he an intelligent boxer. Let's be absolutely clear about this. He didn't show anything in there that indicates a boxing brain that's elite level. But he showed elite level toughness. And what we were able to see was when Joshua Boatsy runs out of ideas, he becomes a more compelling fighter actually, but you also see the limitations. So if you break down the fight into quarters, the first quarter, you, you suspected Josh thought that the stoppage was gonna come inside of three or four rounds, right? I nearly put money on that 11 to one, it was good odds. And after the first round, I was convinced, right, he's got him here. And I think if he had Ward's boxing IQ, he'd have stopped him in three rounds because there were shots there that he wasn't making the most of. And I think he suffers from the disease most British boxers do, in that they don't understand how to use uppercuts to set up the other power punches. They just want to blast you out of there without actually creating that, that psychological fear that you could get hit from anywhere. So once Bolotniks realized that the punches were only going to come from certain areas, he felt a bit more comfortable. And I think 
that was just poor decision making in the ring. They could, there was the stoppage was there a couple of times actually, but that first quarter, whilst he looked comfortable, he looked like he normally does, and we're like, okay, he might stop him early. Second quarter, you start to realise actually, you know, because because bloodness had been dropped, so you're thinking, what's going to happen here? And so, uh, is bloodness going to go into his shell? The answer was no. Is he going to come out swinging? The answer was no. What it looked like was Belotnik's thought, let me, let me take this fight further in and let me see what he's got later on. Because right now he's too strong, he's too energetic. And he let Boatsy reveal his whole bag of tricks in the first half of that fight. And it culminated in round six when he thought he had him going. And he, he unleashed everything. And he did this thing that really annoys me in boxing. And I don't know how you guys feel as fans about this, but my biggest frustration is when you try and create the impression to the referee that you've got someone in trouble, right? So you almost shoe shine, you just start throwing punches, you're running after him, just swinging wild punches. They're not hurtful punches, by the way, but you're just active enough that the ref says, I've got to stop it now, I've got to stop it now. And that's how you get your stoppage. And he tried for that in the sixth, and Bolotnik was smart enough to, to keep popping shots out and just let the ref know that he was okay under fire. But by the end of round six, we'd seen the best of Joshua Boatsy. As, as an attacking force, we'd seen the best of him. And Bolotniks had weathered it. And Bolotniks is not the toughest man at 175 by any stretch of the imagination. And I can remember thinking halfway through this fight, I remember thinking this going, imagine someone was hitting him back with any kind of force and accuracy that gas tank would empty so quickly because you saw in the second half of the fight from, from seven to nine, whilst he looked like he'd blown it. Like, like there, was, there were no new ideas and he was surviving on toughness and you've got to give him a big tick for that. He showed that he's, he's got that resilience and that toughness to, to keep going even when his body's probably telling him, I don't think there's anything left. And so it was kind of like a, a middling third quarter to the fight. And then in that last quarter, Blotniks had kind of run out of adrenaline, bravado, guts, and all that stuff that had kept him going. And then it was easier to rely on technique. So in that final three rounds, the better technical boxer won. Not the tougher man, not the harder puncher, not the stronger man. The fitter man with the better technique won. Because Blotniks was ragged. The punch he got stopped with wouldn't have landed probably three rounds before. But he was just spent because he's not used to operating at that level with that kind of pressure around him all week. And Josh showed that he can ride out the big occasion. And so in that sense, congratulations on the win, but let's put that win in context. That's not a win that puts him above anyone. That's not a win that puts him at the top of the British tree. Callum Johnson's got something to say about that and Lyndon Arthur definitely has something to say about that. And so with my my what do I think is right for boxing head on? I think you have to have a bit of humility and say, this guy needs to fight someone like Lyndon Arthur. Now, the reason I say he needs to fight Lyndon Arthur is simple. Matchroom have made a habit of taking their cash cows and putting them in against guys who don't move. Essentially walking punch bags. If you look at Conor Ben's record, it's guys that don't move. What's his record? Guys that don't move. And it's normally guys that come to you. 
right? and it suits their styles. So we haven't actually answered the question, which is what would they do against someone who could match them for ring IQ and skill, but likes to move around the ring, understands their positioning in the ring? What would they do against guys who can time you, who can time those shots that can counter? Because when we're talking about learning fights and you know, my, my friend Dan Parker was talking about this. And for the record, he is probably the best videographer you're going to see in London. So if you need a videography job and you've got a budget, talk to Dan Parker. He, what is it? Instagram, Parker, video and photography. Um, you'll find him. He'll normally comment something sarcastic when I post on Twitter, but you'll find him. He's, he's good. I, I can't say too much because he'd accuse me of being biased. That's the sort of guy that he is. But he was trying to talk, tell me, and he, he had a point that, you know, Bartsy needs learning fights. And my argument back was, this is a kid who's been the best 81 kilo guy in this country, light heavyweight, for over a decade. This is a guy who came up with their own riches. And I think people forget what happened in 2012. So in 2012, three Ghanaian ancestored or born boxers, Isaac Dogbo, Lerone Richards, and Joshua Bartsy went to Ghana because they were trying to qualify for the 2012 Olympics. Yes, they were trying to qualify for the 2012 Olympics. Right? So you don't do that if you're mediocre. And we're talking about 2012 here. So in this selection event, I think Isaac lost and Josh lost and Lerone won. And Isaac made it through because I think it was Jesse Larty. I don't think he could do the Olympics for some reason. So Isaac took the spot and was robbed from, well, he was definitely robbed of a medal. Might have got silver. He was in that kind of form. Josh obviously didn't get through to Ghana, came back, won the ABAs, and then worked his way up the GB ladder. And Lerone obviously turned pro not long after that. That lets you know that we're not talking about someone who needs learning fights. Well, he shouldn't need learning fights, right? If you're, if you're prepared to jump in on those Olympics, like, let's say he had gone to the Olympics and he had done all right, because I think he'd have been better than Kennedy Katende back then, and Kennedy did okay. He'd have probably beaten someone of that level. So he would have got to the last 16 or the last eight for sure in 2012. We wouldn't be saying he needs learning fights. So what I'm trying to say is this guy's been at that level for a long, long time. Longer than his peers. So we can't cut him any slack now. He should be fighting for world championships right now. He should be in that mix. He should be in hard fights. We should be watching him have 12 round wars by now. Because he's been in the game long enough. So yeah, we hold Josh to a higher standard than we hold someone like uh, Lawrence Ocoli. We hold him to the same standard we hold Anthony Fowler to. Another guy who's been in this game and has been at the top for a long time. Kesh Ashfak, another guy who's been in this game for a long time. Look, Joshua Bartzi's peers are guys like Jack Bateson. You know, he was the young Tyro back then. You know, Jack Bateson, Cody Davis. Um, who else was floating around at that time? Oh, we've said Kesh Ashfak was around at that time. Uh, Scott Forrest, who's still with GB, actually, interestingly enough. So we don't talk about any of those guys needing learning fights because we know that they're experienced. So don't fall for the marketing when it comes to Joshua Barzi. He should be fighting for a world title next. And even if he lost that fight, it's okay. 
because he'll come back and eventually win a world title because he's had that much good experience in him that he should. The issue I have is when Eddie's trying to tell me what I should believe, my eyes are telling me that this guy's having a soft and easy way to the top. And boxing shouldn't allow that. We shouldn't respect that. Do it the hard way. Yeah? Leave no doubt that you're the best boxer in your weight class in your country and then go for the world title. All of this thing of setting it out and waiting for Baturbiev to get old, Kovalev to get old, um, Bivol to, to lose a step, um, Joe Smith Jr. to be inactive and so on and so forth. All of these kind of shenanigans and chicaneries that Hearn loves to do do nothing to cement Boatsy's legacy. And, and I'm, I'm tired of these boxers saying, I just leave it to my team. This should be on Josh now. You can't leave it to your team. You are the boss of your team. That's the whole point. That's why you pay them out of your purse. It's your team. Who do you want to fight next? Why don't you call out Yard? Why don't you call out Lyndon Arthur? I just leave it to God. I'm tired of this. And it's not just him. Loads of I'm tired of it. Because it holds boxing back. And it's not like we're dealing with such a rare talent commercially like a Joshua where we have to bend over backwards. No, 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 no. We've got light heavyweights coming out of our backside for God's sake. That's why as fans we shouldn't tolerate this. And it's a principle we should hold for everyone. Boatsy, Conor Ben, Lyndon Arthur, Anthony. We need these soft fights to stop and they need to get in with each other. There's not enough money in boxing to justify tune-up fights and stay busy fights and learning fights. If you need learning fights, cool. Fight on a Goodwin or a Hobson show and go and learn. When you come on TV, we're expecting you to be somewhere near complete. Because we have to remember, the love of the fans can never be manufactured. It can only be earned. And it's only ever earned when you put it on the line. The fans will love you when we're worried for you. We're worried for your safety. And you come through that. It's why begrudgingly a lot of people love Chris Eubank because we thought in that second fight Ben was going to smoke him. And he stood brave. Like he did in the first fight, he stood brave. And he showed what he was really made of. Same with David Hay in that first Bellew fight. It was the first time you saw that David Hay is a real animal. He's a real fight. He's got that dog in him. All the flashy stuff, all the, you know, the, the womanizing, all that stuff goes out the window when you see him give you that kind of performance. That's when the fans grow to love you. And when you give the fans that, they'll forgive you anything. You know, you had it with Yard and Arthur. That's why people enjoyed that fight, because you had two guys really going for it. The love of the fans is not given, it's earned. It's not manufactured, it's earned. It's not bought, it's earned. And boxing ultimately is about fan power. We should be telling these promoters who the top dogs are. And I think sometimes we drop the ball on that. We don't hold them accountable for what they do and what they say. And we should do. But I'm going to be real. If Joshua Barsi has another bullshit fight between now and the world title, I'm done with him. And that doesn't mean I don't like and respect him as a person or respect his achievements. I'm just done with watching him because there's no point. Don't put him in with guys he's supposed to beat and supposed to beat easily. That's not telling us anything. I mean, Joshua already told us Boatsy needs to step up, and I don't think he's stepped up yet. 
no matter how much Hearn tries to tell you Bolotniks is good, he isn't. Okay? He isn't. Like I've said before, he wouldn't win an English title. Not in this era. He definitely wouldn't win an English title. But, but to touch on the rest of the card, it, it, there was nothing really for me in terms of being excited. Happy for Hopi Price. I really hope Dave Caldwell does well with Hopi Price because I think he's a, he's a good talent and he's, he's the right height for the weight and you can see him moving up. And if Dave teaches him the right things, that's a rare talent there. You know, that's like, he, he gives me that kind of Dennis McCann feeling or that Dalton Smith feeling where you're like, if they do this right, you know, he can go all the way to the top. Then again, he could end up like Reese Bellotti, who, who's gone from a decent caliber prospect. Like Reese Bellotti, when he turned pro, you kind of projected British level comfortably, right? British Commonwealth, yeah. And then maybe he'll kick on against a Jordan Gill. And Jimmy Mack did what Jimmy Mack does best, ruined another career. Just ruined it. Gave him nothing new. You know, just, just trying to make him tough with a heavy punch and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, oh God, just teach the kid to box. And you realize these guys like Jimmy Mack don't have a clue. Too often, like, I think, what was it, Club KO? Like, I'll, I'll sit and I'll listen to guys like Steve Goodwin talk about it's a good setup over there. It's not, right? It's just objectively not a good setup. It doesn't create good boxers. It doesn't create good decision makers in the ring. It hasn't produced anyone of any note. Like people say James DeGale, fine. But James DeGale was a rare talent turned into an average talent. They just chipped away at everything that made him good until he wasn't good anymore. And he hamstrung his career by being loyal to someone who had no idea what to do with him. Absolutely zero idea what to do with him. And that's why I feel sorry for Reese Bellotti. He would have had a far better career in another camp. He could have gone with a Caldwell, he could have gone with a Shane McGuigan, and he'd have been flying. You never have to question his work ethic. He just needed someone to guide him to the right location, and they failed. You know, and it's tragic, but, you know, I say this to everyone. As a boxer, you own your career. Your team don't own your career. They're inputs. You can plug, it, you can plug them in and out anytime you want. Michael McKinson, the curious case of Michael McKinson. What do you do with him now? I say put him in with Josh Kelly. If, if Josh has anything about him, he should be able to deal with the McKinson. Just make that fight happen. But Eddie's got this thing of not putting his guys in together unless it's for a world title. And it's like, no, we ain't got time for that. The zone don't have time for that. You've got to make these fights happen now if you want your subscriber base to grow. Because I won't, I won't subscribe at all if you're going to put your guys in harm's way. That's my test for sus subscribing to the zone. When Eddie puts his guys in harm's way, consistently, I will pay whatever the zone wants. But I'm not paying for development fights. You're giving me a choice to pay or not to pay. I will not pay for development fights. I will not pay for learning fights. I just won't. I don't care. I don't care who it is, Campbell, Hatton, whoever. I am not paying for learning fights. Not from Eddie, not from Frank. Because TV is where you should be the finished article. You should have ironed out all the kinks by then. We don't hold them to the standard. It's a very basic standard to hold boxing to. Guys, when you show up on TV, be good. It's the same way that if you're on Super Sunday, we know you can kick a football to a really high level. Like, like I'm not going to sit there and watch Troitwich Town against Nuneaton Borough on a Sunday. Like, it's just not a standard that appeals to me. Now, I'm just going to run the, 
the post-fight interview Coogan did with Eddie. And I'm going to put it to the floor. I'm going to ask, who thinks it's real? Who thinks it's fake? Great learning fight for Boatsy, yes. which ended in a very clinical KO. Yes. But there's things he probably needs to work on. He'll watch that back and probably be critical of that performance himself. But Belotniks was game as well. I, I disagree. I think he's probably been drinking, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, on a serious note, Belotniks would give absolutely any light heavyweight a tough, tough fight. So I don't think he'll watch it and be disappointed. I think he should be very proud of that. I didn't say disappointed, I said critical of his performance. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't because, so. well, I don't think, well, he will be. I don't think he will be. I think he's never really boxed at that level before. He's never gone uh, against someone as tough as durable. He's never gone into the championship rounds before. He's basically dismantled Belotniks. He's come back under fire. He's soaked it up and he's knocked him out in the 11th round. All right? So what the fuck are you talking about? I'll ask him later whether he'll be critical of his... Every fighter is critical of his... I hope you come with the same energy. I will come with the same energy. Yeah, well, will you be critical of your performance tonight, Joshua? He's over there. Why don't you ask him, mate? Ask him. I want to let him celebrate. (laughs) Every fighter is critical of their performance, especially someone like him. I thought it was a brilliant performance. If If you want to be critical of his performance, let me finish. All right? You're giving me the platform. Let me speak. You've always had the platform, son. You're doing it again. Uh, he, he threw the kitchen sink at him in the sixth round. And he, he tired. And I think he took a round off. And I think Bratnik's come back. Bolotnik's come back. And I think he won the eighth round or ninth round or whatever it was. It's what you want. I want to see someone come back at him when he's tired. And that was the... Per- I can't explain. That was the perfect bit of matchmaking. That was the perfect fight. Not the perfect matchmaking because it was an easy fight. But the perfect matchmaking because... So... So I was watching that interview, I was watching the body language, and you could see the points where Hearn was having to make things up on the fly. So part of me thinks, actually, that was a real exchange. And part of me thinks they just did it for the views. And, you know, backstage, they probably hugged it out and went, mate, that's going to make great content. That will do great numbers. But it's just an interesting thing that Coogan seems to have found himself on the outside looking in. Numerous times you look at the matchroom content and Coogan's kind of lurking. And uh, it's almost like he's been relegated down to like a, a boxing social level where he's got to just kind of mooch around with, with, with Rob Tebbett and his, his rather disjointed skin fade, you know, when he's trying to play the pretend tough guy. Well, actually, they all, play, they all play pretend tough guys, don't they, those guys? But it's a fall from grace because a couple of years ago, Coogan was front and center of, of the Hearn propaganda machine. And now Eddie's like, I can do it all myself. You know, so what's the role for Coogan? I don't know. What he can't do is he can't then have Coogan's corner. Like, you can't now come and be the voice of the hardcores because, in simple terms, you made fun of us. You made fun of the guys who were, you know, on the outside looking in. So you can't be one of us. You just can't. And, and you know, once you're on the outside looking in, do you get the same marketing budget? Do you get the same boost to your videos? I don't think you do. So we're about to see a bit more realism as Matchroom start to to drag the traffic towards their platforms, which is sensible. I'd want to own all the traffic because when I own the traffic, I can point you wherever I need you to go to. But the other interesting thing I found was, and it wasn't really a surprise, but I did find it interesting, was you know, Eddie bringing the, the Olympians down to, to Matchroom. And I guess he revealed his focus based on who was actually there, right? So 
a lot of the attention seemed to be on Ben Whitaker, Lauren Price, and Karis Artinstall, mainly because I can imagine you know, they're the ones who were the most newsworthy. Um, and I think no disrespect to Karis, but being a bronze medalist, I think she just came along with the gold medalist. Because like, there was no, no McCormack, no Fraser Clark. They weren't prominent at all. So now you start to think and you say, okay, so is that where Hearn's going? Is it that he genuinely wants Ben and Lauren to spearhead his attack? If so, cool. But I just have a feeling Paris 2024 is close enough for Karis and Lauren to stick around. Because the female division in their respective weight classes are it's not going to move that much further away from where it is now in three years. Just because of the poor matchmaking that's happening. So they can go back, win the medals. I think Karis really wants that gold. And she... She was close. I think another Olympics and she should be ready for the gold. Lauren wants to be a double gold medalist. Let them do it. I think Ben will turn pro. Um, do you go with Hearn? I don't know. I think he's a guy that needs to be on Sky. He needs to be connected to the football. Wolves are in the premiership. Sky have the premiership as do BT. You kind of want to synergize those two. If, if I was looking at it from a marketing perspective, I'd say to Ben, do three years on Sky. You will not regret it. The world will know who you are. You go into zone, you rely on Eddie to tell the world who you are. And you don't want to hand over control of your brand to anybody. Now, in sharp contrast to what we saw at Fight Camp, can everyone just take a second to appreciate Virgil Ortiz, 23 years old, and he's talking about wanting to fight Crawford pretty soon? Just, just, just pause for a second. We're not used to that in this country. A 23-year-old boxer going, actually, do you know what? Why can't I fight Terence Crawford? He's not saying he'll win, but why can't he fight Terence Crawford to prove who, who and what he is? Love that attitude. And it's the reason why DeZone need Oscar De La Hoya, because Oscar has an ability to create stars. And the way he does it with Virgil Ortiz is brilliant. The number of times Virgil Ortiz was on things like Canelo Undercards and so forth, and then he'd headline his own shows in Carson, and they've built him so well that he's a big fight guy already. He's miles ahead of Conor Ben. Now, DAZN could make that fight, and why wouldn't you? That's how you get subscribers, right? Talent versus aggression, you know, demographic v demographic, and so on and so forth. You can do everything with that, and I'm sure as they're data-driven at DAZN, they understand that. But just watching Virgil Ortiz destroy, I can't even say his name, Kavarulakis, whatever his name, I can't even say it. That lets you know what happens when a really talented kid has a good trainer and they don't mess about in the matchmaking. They put him in harm's way and they say, look, we need to find out if you're the real deal or not. And now we know. We really know. In a way that's put everyone on notice at 147. Everyone's on notice now. No British promoter would take those kinds of risks, and that's what makes Oscar special. Now, for all the, the ridicule and the criticism and his ego and so on and so forth, Oscar and Golden Boy know exactly what they're doing when, they, when it comes to building stars. And if DeZone was smart, they'd re-sign Golden Boy and they'd pay that money, whatever it cost. Because, geez, Virgil Ortiz looks genuinely scary. You know, before I go... Sometimes you just want to give thanks. Uh, yeah, it's a weird thing to talk about. 
so when you start off doing a podcast, like it's it's pretty much a, an individual thing. And uh, you know, when I did it with Martin and Andy, it was just the three of us, right? And they were they were genuinely happy days. Like they're some of the happiest days I've had. Those Sundays will live long in my memory. And so when you go solo, it's equally as it's equally as lonely. Like you don't have that same camaraderie. So one of the things that blows you away is the fact that you can meet people in your day-to-day life that listen to you. You know, I'm always tripped out at the fact that trainers and promoters and boxers listen. Like, that still blows my mind. But what blows my mind even more is when I'm out and people just recognize and go, oh, you're high field boxing or you're the guy that does Porky's thing. And I haven't even got used to that yet because I, I don't do it for the, for the attention. I don't do it to be well known. But it humbles you because you realize, oh, actually, this thing I do is real. It gets out into the real world. And I think this was an example of this weekend. Um, first of all, most, thanks to Keen McDonough for, for actually offering to buy me a drink out in Bristol on Friday night. And also thanks to, I don't know if I'm allowed to use his, his government name. We just go thanks to H, a.k.a. Kaners. Bristol hip-hop legend for a great night on Friday. So he, he definitely showed me his side of town and I'm eternally grateful for that. And then just the other people I've bumped into over the last few months, it's been about nine or ten times it's happened. Thank you. Genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you because that support's kind of what forces me to challenge myself every, every time I sit in front of this microphone and say, can I find another level? Can I find something that no one else is going to talk about? You know, can I can I avoid being generic? And so it's that kind of love and appreciation mate, that that goes a hell of a long way. That's was very much appreciated. Um, just even the guys, the guys I met at Empire Boxing Club, like it's it's amazing. Like number one, the boxing community at its best is one of the most amazing things to be a part of. But just being around the fans in person, like Twitter is one place, but being around the fans in person is amazing. It's it's. It's, it is mind-blowing. You know, also, a shout-out to, to Georgia, the meal, the meal prep queen. Um, you know, definitely providing champions with their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, you know, like I said, all the love's appreciated. And I've been told that I need to, to shout-out Kent as well. So, shout-out to Kent. Uh, if you've listened this far, mate, you know, like, Porky had me on the ropes about that one. So, <laughs> I had to do that. And also, I've got to thank Porky as well, just because those episodes I do with him, seem to have brought me a whole new audience as well. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. And, you know, I remember the, the days of the, the camera work at the Hobson shows and we never knew how far either of us would go. And so we keep going and we'll see where the next couple of years take us because one thing I've always promised is I'll always clean away the BS when it comes to boxing, the lies and the myths and the, the smoke screens, the smoke and mirrors, as someone once said, and just tell you what's really happening. You know, that, that's, that's generally my promise to you guys, that we, we, we won't go corporate. Well, God, you know, if, the, if, if the check's right, I might have to, but I'm going to try not to for now. And once again, just thank you. I really appreciate the support. I appreciate the love. And look, let's carry on making this one of the most relevant boxing podcasts out there. Take care, guys. Bye. I'm a father, a loving father, 
I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a semi-good husband, you know what I mean? What? You know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my, I, I was born poor, I ain't never had nothing, man. I don't know how to act, all right? But the real thing is, I'm just, I'm just here to be me. I don't care what uh, you, you think know what? I am or who, or who anyone thinks I am um, at this stage of my life. But, um, yeah, I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan. Yeah, that's who I am.